Great, great song, and what a great way to look at life. What he says, I'll say. Where he goes, I'll go. Well, let's stand up together and read a couple of verses, and I'm going to talk to you about the midnight hour today. I'm going to begin a series. It may sound a little bit gloomy or um, dark. Well, of course, it is dark at midnight, but the midnight hour is the hour of opportunity. So let's look at what Jesus said in Mark 13. Verses 35 to 37. Therefore, what everybody? Now that's our catchphrase for the day. I want you to remember that. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those who believe in him. Those who are following him. Keep watch. Because you don't know when the owner of the house is coming home. And the owner of the house is Christ. The house is the world. You don't know when he's coming back. And then he says, whether it's going to be in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, and he will, don't let him find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to everybody, watch. Keep your eyes open. Stay alert. Be in a state of expectancy. For what? For the owner to come home. Father, thank you for your word. Open our eyes and help us to be a church that is lit on fire, waiting expectantly for the return of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say with me, He's coming back soon? All right, you can be seated. Thank you. And let me talk to you about this a little bit today. I'm going to continue this for, Lord willing, for a couple of weeks. Unless he returns, then we won't be here. Well, the midnight hour, that little phrase, began to kind of just move in my spirit recently. And I, I thought, you know, and, and, and who can watch the news and not realize that we're in a midnight hour? Who can pay real close attention and not know it? And I began to look up the midnight hour, the times that phrase is used, or derivatives of it, and it's got strong significance all throughout Scripture, the midnight hour. It's often the hour of God's judgment. In Exodus 11:4, God told Moses, about midnight, I'm going to go out into the land, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die, the final judgment on Egypt before they turn the people loose. And you know what happened just that way? Exodus 12, 29 says, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. It was a black night, a terrible night, but God's people were in the house with blood painted over the doorposts of the house. And when the death angel saw the blood, he passed over that house. And that's where we get the phrase, the Passover. That's what the Jewish people celebrate the Passover because the death angel passed over in this midnight hour of judgment when he saw the blood. That's what we call typology. That's a picture of the way it'll be in the last days. The blood isn't painted over some physical place in our life like it was for them. The blood is painted over the doorposts of our heart. And when judgment passes over, when death sees the blood, death moves on and passes over. And it, it came in the midnight hour. On the positive side, it was in the midnight hour. It tells us distinctly in the book of Acts, at midnight, 
when Paul and Silas were locked in jail for preaching the gospel and casting demons out of a woman. At midnight, they began to praise God and pray to God, and the original jailhouse rock took place, and the whole prison was shaken, and the doors were flung open, and the chains fell off of all of their hands, and they were set free. And that day, or that midnight, that night, the Philippian church was born. The midnight hour. The midnight hour. As I researched uh, this phrase in the Word of God, I discovered that Jesus spoke a lot about the midnight hour in his parables. In Luke eleven five, in a parable about prayer, Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. That's my message next week. You have a friend and you go to him at midnight. And you say, friend, lend me three loaves. This parable is pointing to the midnight hour as being the hour of desperate need. And friends, we're there. It's the hour of desperate need. It's only going to get more desperate out there. Next week, don't miss it. In Matthew 25, 6, in another parable about the ten virgins, Jesus said at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Jesus pointing out that it'll be a midnight hour when he returns. It'll be a midnight hour. In Luke 17, 34, Jesus said, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men or two people, the Greek says, in two, two people in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. One saved, one lost. Peter and Paul in their writings said exactly the same thing. You know very well, Paul said in Thessalonians 5, verse 2, you know very well the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus said, I'm coming in the midnight hour. Paul said he's going to come like a thief in that midnight hour. You don't know when a thief is coming. You don't know when a thief has been. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. God's not going to destroy this world that he created. He's going to melt down all the elements in it so that everything sinful, everything tainted by sin, everything affected by sin is going to be melted and burned away and then he will renovate, renovate this world. He's not going to do away with this beautiful thing that he created and said that was good. And so in the next few weeks I want to deal with three aspects of the midnight hour. Jesus said, I'm coming in a midnight hour. I'm coming like a thief in the midnight hour. So I'm going to deal with today the watch at midnight, which deals with our expectation at his return. Next week, the knock at midnight, our ministry at his return. And then the following week, the cry at midnight, our anointing at his return. But first, what is the midnight hour? When you read that phrase, what does it mean, the midnight hour? I'm coming in the midnight hour. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Midnight hour. What does it mean? Well, here's what we know it doesn't mean. We know the midnight hour is not talking about chronological time, like what you'd see on a watch or a clock, because if that were true, when he comes at midnight here, it's not midnight other places in the world, so he'd have to come over and over again to make all the different midnights. So we know that's not what he meant. Well, if he didn't mean chronological time... What was Jesus talking about? Well, 
Jesus was talking about a condition. He's talking about the midnight hour being a time where the moral and the spiritual atmosphere are midnight, dark. He's talking about a condition. He's talking about the state that men's hearts will be in. He's talking about where man will be when he returns. It'll be a midnight hour out there. Now let me just break this down a little bit and tell you a few aspects of this midnight hour. What is it characterized by? Well, first of all, the midnight hour refers to the loss of opportunity for gospel work due to persecution. There comes a time in cultures and in the world when there is such an antipathy towards Christ, such a hostility towards the gospel, and such an attempt to suppress the truth that it becomes more and more difficult to minister Jesus because of the pressure. Jesus himself said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. But night is coming when no one can work. Jesus said there's a night. There's a nighttime. There's a midnight hour. There is a, an atmosphere. There is a, there is a season when it's very difficult to do the work of the Lord. The time will come when spiritual darkness becomes so prevalent that it makes gospel work difficult, if not impossible, in some places. Even today, this midnight condition is growing in our world, and I'm acutely aware of it. As a preacher of the gospel, I, I keep track of this all the time. And I'm going to tell you, many doors of evangelism are now being shut that used to be wide open. Authorities are constantly framing new laws that make it more and more difficult to evangelize, even in the West, even in Europe and in the West, here in America. The good old U.S. of A. established in Christianity, known for its Christian missionary outreach, and yet the door is creaking shut in many places. Mentioning the name of Christ in some public venues in America and in Europe has now been outlawed. You will be thrown in jail. People are being thrown in jail, preachers, for teaching Romans 1 that homosexuality is a sin according to the Bible. If you say that in Canada, and now the pressure is mounting in America because of this hate crime legislation that was never needed, it was put into action by the militant homosexual lobby. There's no doubt about it. Because we didn't need hate crime legislation. It was already on the books. It's an attempt to outlaw the teaching of the Word of God. I'm not trying to glorify the night, and, I, and I'm not giving it too much credit, but there is an aspect to this, this whole notion of the midnight hour that the church is going to have to come to terms with. Paul encouraged the church to redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So there, there, there is a time when, when the opportunity is there, you grab the opportunity because it may not always be there. there. There's things that I could do 30 years ago in taking the gospel into schools. I can't do it now. You can't take the gospels into the school. You take the gospel into the school, ACLU is all over that principal, all over that, that school district, and they shut the door. I'm not afraid of the ACLU, the Against Christian Liberties Union. But I do believe that they are a force of the enemy seeking to shut the door and silence the church 
So part of the midnight hour is when freedom to share Christ comes under strong attack in an attempt to silence the church. And so while you can do it, do it. While you can preach it, preach it. While you can reach, reach. That's why we're going on to every radio station we can, carrying the Word of God as fast as we can, to as many as we can, while we can. The midnight hour. The midnight hour. He's coming in the midnight hour. Another characteristic of the midnight hour, and i got to forewarn you, I'm about to be very politically incorrect. I detest political correctness. Here's why. Because it, it makes you not tell the truth. It is, listen carefully to me, you check it out yourself. Political correctness is a soft form of Marxism. Marxism takes away your freedom of speech. You can't say what you want. You can't say what you believe. You are tongue-tied. You are muzzled. We have thought police out there right now that if you say the wrong thing, they are on you, telling you that you shouldn't have said that because of political correctness. It wasn't politically correct. Well, you know what? The Bible couldn't be a more politically incorrect book. And every chance I get, I'm going to be politically incorrect because guess what? When you're politically incorrect, you're generally telling the truth. And I'm not going to let political correctness muzzle me. And I, and I hope preachers everywhere, listen, preachers, don't be afraid of what they say. Jesus said, don't you be afraid of those who can kill the body but not the soul. You be afraid of those who can take your body and soul and cast it into hell, and that's God. You fear God and preach the Word now while you can. But a second characteristic of the midnight hour is spiritual and moral decline. When there is a rapid spiritual and moral decline... In a culture, you're in a midnight hour spiritually. And the Bible says, in the last days, men will depart from the faith. Now, I want you to know he's talking about church people there. Men will depart from the faith. Well, how can you depart from something you were never in? They depart from the faith, what they knew of the faith, the truth of the faith, the Word of God, Christ, the blood, heaven, hell, the Word. They'll depart from the faith once delivered to the saints. They'll depart. And what do they depart to? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. He's saying in the last days, he said in the last days, there will be an apostasy, a walking away from the truth that is in the Word of God. And it's happening right now as we speak. Churches everywhere, you read about it. The mainline denominations, many of them, have sold out to political correctness, thrown the Bible out. The minute you get rid of this word, the lampstand has gone out of your church. What do you have to offer a, a lost, dying, chained, bound culture if you don't preach this anymore? You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And he whom the Son frees is the one who's free indeed. But when it's midnight, there is a departure from the faith, from the truth of the word. And it was a midnight hour in Sodom and Gomorrah just prior to God's judgment. Speaking of that time period, you know that Jesus talked about not only Noah, but Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jesus validated the story of Noah and the ark, and he validated the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire and brimstone falling down upon the twin cities that are now 
buried under the Dead Sea, never to rise again. Jesus talked about the days of Lot. Jesus warned. In Lot's day, in Sodom and Gomorrah, people went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building. Ah, business as usual. Life as usual. There were no ominous clouds overhead. Business was going on as usual. Exchange of money. People making profits. Building their homes. But then Jesus said, Until the morning, Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Powerful. Jesus said that. Jesus validated that. And if Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. Jesus said it. You know why judgment fell? Not only were they taking advantage of the poor, but clearly Genesis shows that homosexuality had become totally socially acceptable in their midnight hour, sanctioned by society, no longer blinked at, no longer considered sinful. But Peter tells us it was so bad that Lot, who was a believer, was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Day after day, Lot saw what the wicked were doing, how the moral atmosphere and the spiritual atmosphere was midnight, and every day it vexed his soul. Well, it didn't vex it bad enough because he should have gotten out of there. My opinion is Lot was about half backslidden because if you're sitting in the presence of something that's vexing you every day and you know that it's wrong, while he sat there at the gate being vexed in his soul, he was the gatekeeper of the city. While he sat there, he lost his family to moral and spiritual corruption. There was a time when he should have gotten out. And I'm going to tell you something, church. Mark it down. Remember that I said this. The day is coming in this country, you're going to have to turn that TV off or get it out of your house. Do you know what's happening on there now? You say, oh, pastor, you're going too far now. Now you're getting Pentecostal holiness on me. There are things that are now on normal television. If you sit and watch that, see, I get you an hour a day. That TV gets you 20, 30, 40 hours a week. Let me tell you, there's things coming on that TV that used to, you could never have gotten unless it was on cable. And what they are, it's a slide down, just like this. There are things on there now, you don't need to hear it, see it, meditate on it dwell on it, be exposed to it. I mean, aren't you already experiencing feeling a vexation when you watch some of what's on there now? There's not a thing wrong with saying, I believe I'm going to find a good book. Or gee, I might open up my Bible. In Lot's day, nobody stopped the moral decline, the spiritual decline, Finally, God sent angels, and they said, we've come to see if the report we've gotten is as bad as we've heard. If it is, then judgment's falling. They had to grab Lot by the arm and force him to leave. He fled only by the, by the coercion of the angels of God. They got him out before the fire fell. Listen to me. Anytime perversion is celebrated and righteousness is castigated, it's midnight. 
In the midnight hour, truth is placed on the endangered species list. Have you noticed the truth doesn't have many friends today? Isaiah said truth has fallen in the streets, and very few people want to pick it up. I wish they'd pick it up some in Washington. Isaiah described the midnight hour this way. Listen to how he said it. Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth has fallen in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. That was his day before judgment fell. You know truth has fallen in the streets when right is called wrong and wrong is called right. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture today. It's upside down, topsy-turvy. Truth has been turned inside out. It's midnight when light is called dark and dark is called light. And a nation is in very deep trouble when what is moral is declared immoral and what is immoral is called moral. When that's happening in your nation, you're in midnight. You're in midnight because truth is light. Truth is health. Truth is resurrection. And when you invert truth and say that a lie is true and true is a lie, you are in the deepest spiritual blindness available to mankind. You are in spiritual blackness. Isaiah the prophet warned, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. What sorrow, what abundant sorrow is for those that say dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. We're being told that the bitterest things are sweet. In the midnight hour, I've noticed there is a tone deafness to the warnings of God. There was a tone deafness in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know how I know that there was tone deafness? Because Abraham went there. Abraham went and rescued them when they had been attacked by an invading army. Abraham got an army together and went and set them free. And so they were in the presence of the most godly man on the face of the earth before they went where they went. They had Abraham, the father of our faith, was among them. And you know he reflected a godly life and talked about God and promoted the Most High. You know that he did, because that's the way that he lived. They had, they had the most godly man, just like the people of Noah's day had the most godly man available. And Peter said, Noah preached righteousness. And the Bible says Abraham was among them, among the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and his presence and his testimony did not sway them. Down they went into a midnight hour. God's pleadings fell on deaf ears. His warnings were ignored. His preachers were mocked. You know what the greatest sign in Noah's day was? God gave them one last testimony. Two of every kind appearing from nowhere and walking up the ramp. The people sit there and watched it. Look there, Martha. There goes two deer. There goes two lions. There goes two bears. There goes two possum. Where are they coming from? How is this happening? They had a sign. This is supernatural. God is doing this. God's giving us signs today. They're happening all around us. But you know what? In the midnight hour, there's a tone deafness to the call of God. There, there is a tone deafness to his warnings. According to Jesus Christ, it's going to be business as usual in a midnight hour just prior to his return.
And the Bible further says that as midnight draws closer and as His return is upon us, here's something that's going to be accelerating in front of our eyes. A scoffing, mocking attitude concerning Christ's return to the earth is going to accelerate. Have you noticed, you can go out there and say, Muhammad, nobody cares. Buddha, nobody cares. But you say, Jesus? There's something about that name for good. It, 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 if you love him, you love the name. If you walk in darkness, you hate the name. There's no name like that name. There's no name like the name of Jesus. It carries the biggest punch in the spiritual world. And there's going to be a scoffing, mocking attitude concerning Christ's return to the earth. It's going to accelerate. Peter said these words. I want to remind you that in the last days, in the midnight hour, in the last days, scoffers will come. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. And then he goes on. They'll mock, saying, hey, so what's happened to the promise of his coming? Come on, you don't believe that stuff do you? And you know where they, a lot of them are? In the church. In the last days, many will depart from the faith. It's going to be a lot of church folk who are saying this. Come on, what's happened to the promise of His coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried, and everything's going on just as it has from the first day of creation. Nothing has changed. Come on. You don't believe that stuff? That's right there with Peter Pan and Cinderella and the brothers grim and fairy tale. Come on, you don't really believe that, do you? Have you noticed that when mockers and scoffers are told today that there are many signs of the Lord's soon return in nature, in society, in Israel, in the church, and many other arenas of life, they say these things have always happened. Come on, there's always been earthquakes. There's always been these things. This doesn't mean anything. They cannot see that the birth pains are increasing and the birth is about to occur. They're blinded. Even within the church, many say, come on, every generation expected Christ to return in their time. My grandparents thought Jesus was coming back and their grandparents did. Come on. And so far, they've all been wrong. So why should we now believe such a thing that Jesus is coming back? Come on. Coming back. Peter anticipated their response. And here's what he said. God is not late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to repent. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's giving everybody. What, why hasn't the Lord come back? Because he loves you. Why hadn't the Lord come back? Because He sees the masses who are lost and He knows what a godless eternity will be like. And so it's, it's not that it, His Word isn't true. What you're watching in action is the love of God and the restraint of God. But listen, the day came when the last animal walked up that ramp and walked through that door and God said, that's it. That's the last one. And it says, God shut the door to the ark. There's going to come a day when the last person says, Jesus, forgive me. I believe you died for me. Come in in my heart and be my Savior and Lord. The last one's going to repent. The last one, and God's going to know it. Jesus said, the angels don't know when I'm coming back. 
I don't know when I'm coming back. The Father alone knows when I'm coming back, when He's going to turn to me and say, Son, go get your bride. And right now there is an apostasy happening in, in America, in the West, in Europe. In Europe the church is all but dead. Here in the West, in America, the final bastion of the gospel and of freedom. There is a tremendous battle going on. And there are decisions being made. Are we going to stay with the Word of God or are we not? Are we going to believe in the promises that the church has always anchored its soul in? Or are we going to let them go? Are we going to depart from the faith or are we going to stay? There's a battle going on. It's intense. It's at fever pitch. Never have I seen it like this. But I'm going to tell you something. I learned a long, long time ago that God be true and every man a liar. I learned a long time ago His Word is true that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And if we throw this away, we might as well close the doors and go home and watch football because it's all over with, buddy. There's nothing else to say. But if this is true, and it is, then there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ comes back. The Bible couldn't be more clear concerning Christ's return. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, says, I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end of time He will stand upon the earth. Malachi 3.2 says, Who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? Mark 14.62 says, He is coming on the clouds of heaven. Acts 1.11, the disciples about... about um, well, several dozen of them were there watching Jesus, listening to His final words. It says, suddenly He lifted up His hands and He began to ascend into heaven in front of their sight. And as they were watching Him disappear in the clouds, yes, I absolutely believe that. You know why I believe that? Because I believe in God. If I didn't believe in God, no, I wouldn't believe that. But Jesus, of course, defied gravity. I believe in God. He can do what He wants in His world. Yes, He ascended. He ascended in front of them all. Now, watch this. Suddenly an angel appeared, and here's what the angel said. Why are you standing looking like this? Well, I'd have been looking. <laughs> That's a good question, because I'd have been looking. Here's what He said, the Lord Himself. The angel said, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ shall arise, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Watch this. As Jesus ascended into glory, He's coming back the same way. Zechariah said, Behold, His feet shall land on the Mount of Olives. And it will cleave east to west. He's going to return the same way He left. And one of the most powerful prophecies of the return of Christ, Revelations 1-7, says He is coming with the clouds. Listen to this. Every eye, every eye will see Him. Every eye. That's a lot of eyes. Every eye. In the Middle East, every eye. In China, every eye. In Russia, every eye. In Africa, every eye. In Europe, every eye. In the West. <clears throat> but it's heavier than that. Even those who pierced Him. What does that mean, Pastor Jeff? That means that every single person that ever lived and died will be resurrected from the dead to face God. So you're an eternal being. You have an eternal soul. There is no escaping the fact that if you die in unbelief, you're still going to be resurrected. 
If you die in faith, you're going to be resurrected. One resurrected to life, one resurrected to separation from God for eternity. But you will be resurrected. Those that pierced Him are going to be resurrected. And they're going to see the return. That's what He said. And all the peoples of the earth are going to mourn because of Him. You know why they're going to mourn? They're going to be saying, it was true, it was true, it was true. When Jesus was born in the manger, only a handful of people witnessed that birth. Mary, Joseph, a few shepherds, that was it. But when he returns, everybody will see him. John said, every eye will see him. Think about this for a minute. Every person from Adam to the last person born will witness Christ appearing. The righteous and the unrighteous, the wise and the foolish, the rich and the poor. How, Pastor Jeff, can that be? God is how it can be. It's that simple. God. The creator of the worlds flung the stars into space, created endless galaxies, ex nihilo, something from nothing. That same God can easily bring before him every person that ever lived and died. Those that persecuted the prophets and rejected their words will see his return. Pilate and the priests that crucified the Lord will witness his appearing. The soldiers that nailed him to the cross. We'll see him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being one of the ones that held that hammer and drove the stake through and being raised someday to look at him coming back? Herod, Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, every dictator, every despot, every mass murderer that ever lived will witness the brightness of his coming. All the philosophers, the skeptics, and the atheists will be present. The Bible says every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. Not some, not most, not a few. All knees will bow. The Bible declares that nobody will miss the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is crystal clear that Christ is returning. And He's coming in a midnight hour. He's coming in an hour of terrible spiritual and moral decline. He even asked one time, when I come back, will I even find faith on the earth? Midnight is spreading across our world. Now comedians, commentators, news hosts mock and ridicule the return of Christ and belief in Christ. They'll answer, and they're going to meet Him. Spiritual and moral decline, the inversion of truth, mockers and scoffers proliferating. It's all happening. Now, here's the good news. In the midnight hour, what is the response of the church to be? Well, this message is called the watch at midnight. Here's the response of the church. I think I'm talking to the church. Am I talking to the blood-bought, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving children of God? Am I? All right. Jesus said, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus said, when you see these things beginning to take place, Israel being born as a nation overnight, this apostasy from the truth, sign after sign, prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled before your eyes. This describes Jesus, what he just said to us, the watching posture of the Lord's true bride in the midnight hour. You see, Jesus said in another place, he said, when I come again, men's hearts are going to be failing them for fear for what they see coming upon the earth. And he said in another place, when I return, don't be ashamed at my coming. 
So here's going to be the posture of three different kinds of people. One type is going to be looking down in shame when the Lord comes again. Oh no, it was true. Another are going to be looking around in fear. Looking down in shame. Looking around in fear. But the bride of Christ is going to be looking up in joy. Looking up with anticipation. Looking up with excitement. As a matter of fact, if you want to experience the power of God in this midnight hour, I believe that's the will of God for His church. The darker it gets out there, the brighter it's going to get in here. Can I give you a word from God today? Man's hour of darkness has always been God's hour of power. When man is in his darkest place, that's when God touches somebody, touches some people. There's always a remnant that God lays his hand on, that God pours his grace on, that God gives his power to. And who's it going to be? Those who are standing up, lifting up, and looking up. Stand up for Jesus Christ and don't be ashamed of Him. Would you look out there and tell me, look at, what, look at what people are standing up for in our hour. In this day, look what they're standing up for. Man, if you can stand up for some of the things they are with a straight face, you can sure stand up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Stand up for Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Him. Stand tall. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Once I was lost, now I'm found blind, but now I see. Thank God that He is the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the Resurrector. And He's the soon-coming King. And soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. I'm standing up for Him. And then lift up His name. That's going to be the posture of the church that is alive in the midnight hour. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Oh, what a key. What a powerful word. They're hungry out there, and we're going to be talking about that next week. The knock at midnight, the desperate cry in the midnight hour, and the church better have some bread, but I can't get into next week. But here's the deal. You lift up the name of Jesus, He's the bread of life. You lift up the name of Jesus, He's the light of the world. You lift up the name of Jesus, He's the good shepherd. You lift up the name of Jesus, He's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father but through Him. You lift up the name of Jesus and it sets people free. You lift up the name of Jesus, they get delivered from a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, God sets them on a rock and He establishes their goings and He puts a new song in their mouth, even praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and trust in the Lord. And then, well, I, I almost, I forgot to tell you, I instructed our folks, you don't know when it's going to happen, but in a couple minutes, balloons are coming out of the ceiling. I did it for effect, a couple hundred of them. I didn't want you to be scared. But when I give the word, they're coming down. I'm just telling you so that you can't sue us for a heart attack. couple hundred. It was hard getting them up there. But don't know when, but in just a minute or two, I'm going to give a little cue, and down they come. Now, you know why I didn't say that at the beginning of the message? Because you'd have been the whole time. Because just now, most of you were there are no balloons up there. You know how the Lord wants us walking?
You know, I, I totally disagree with the statement. You can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. So what you do is you live planning like he's never coming back. That is, go to school, get your degree, raise your family, plan your life, but live like he could come before you get to your car. Because church, one of the primary anchoring doctrines of the church and teachings of the church and messages of Christ was he's coming back. And so, therefore, Jesus said, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house is coming back. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch for him. He's coming back. He's coming back. And what a day that will be. Can we stand together? Amen. Now with our heads bowed, please hang tough with us for just a couple more minutes. We'll get you out of the parking lot. But right now, there may be some here who used to walk with the Lord, but you've drifted. This week I made several phone calls to people who I knew had drifted. And I talked to them about coming, coming back to the Lord, walking with God. Every one of them thanked me for calling. They said to me, I don't know how it happened. I got offended, I got bitter, I got this, I got that, and I drifted. I said, time to come back. Maybe you're one of those today. You're in church, but your heart's not. You're in church, but you've drifted. Or maybe you've never had the miracle of getting into that ark and being saved. I want to pray with you with our heads bowed for a moment. Would you give me the honor of praying with you? You can say, Pastor Jeff, I have gotten away from him to a level. I used to be a lot closer, a lot tighter. And he's already been dealing with me that it's time for me to get right. Or I've never come to him, Jeff, never have. But I'd like to. I'd like to just look up and let him into my heart. If you're in either one of those two categories, would you just slip your hand up and let me see you and pray with you? I want to pray with you today. I want to come back. I want to come to him. I want to get it right. Put him up high where I can see you. God's going to touch you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. We're going to just sing a simple stanza. And if you raise your hand, I want you to slip out and come and stand right here in front of me. Don't worry about what all these people think. They've all been there. They've all been right where you are. This is between you and the Lord. I want you to come. I want you to come now because as soon as you take a step, God's going to touch you. God's going to change your life. I want you to come right now as we worship. Worthy, worthy, you are worthy, worthy is the Come on, young person. Come on, anybody.
everybody, everybody. Worthy, We're going to pray. Worthy, you are worthy, worthy is the Lord. Sing holy, holy, and holy, holy you are. Holy, holy is the bow for prayer. I'm going to lead these folks in a simple prayer. And we rejoice that you're here. The Lord has brought you here. And when we're done praying, I'm going to ask you to go into the back room with these men right here. They're going to take, them in, take you into the back for just a couple of minutes and give you some free information. But right now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord, come into my heart. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead on my behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Guide my life from this moment forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you all to, to do this. What just happened it's the, the end and it's a beginning. The end of an old life, the beginning of a new life. And I'm going to let you.